Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. As you know, it is the most important podcast in the universe, and more importantly, it is nominated for an FSWA award. I'm sure you can tell the audio quality is not as great as it has been in the past. I decided to bring an extra layer of clothes rather than the microphone. I apologize, but I need to survive. Instead of having these two on opposite ends of this podcast... I decided to bring them on at the same time. First, it is Patrick Darty, Roto Pat. What's up? I'm, we're really we just spent a few days in real life uh, working on our chemistry last week, Evan and I. So we should be a well-oiled machine uh, for the pod today. Yeah, don't the kids all call that IRL? <laughs> yeah, IRL. yeah, yeah. But you know, I didn't know. Uh, you know, Evan, you're over 30 like me, and Josh doesn't even drink beer, this so true. I didn't know if he would know what IRL means. Yeah, all 29-year-olds around the world drink wine now, if you guys haven't heard. Um, and we call that in the wild, not just IRL anymore. Uh, and Evan is with his daughter in the car, and we are hopefully going to <laughs> e- educate her a little bit, even though she knows more than either Pat and I, about this upcoming Sunday. Yes, that is the Super Bowl. Yes, it is on NBC. You should, obviously support NBC Sports. I'm not prepared for this podcast, but that means it's going to be our best one yet. So, Pat, let's start with you. I did not expect the Eagles to be in this situation. In fact, I think I picked against them the last two weeks. Pat, why are the Eagles here, and can they continue to win in that same way against the Patriots this Sunday? Why are they here? Uh, I feel like Doug Peterson outcoached Dan Quinn in the divisional round. Uh, I feel like they... He, I don't know. He's outcoached Mike Zimmer in the conference championship game. I feel like they kind of took the Vikings by surprise is really what happened there. I mean, the Vikings, understandably, were not prepared for the Steve Young version of Nick Foles that showed up, and things kind of snowballed. So, I mean, they're there because they have dominant defensive line. They have a powerful offensive line. The running game's been working well. Nick Foles has been playing over his head, and Doug Peterson's just been doing an amazing job. And <clears throat> I think, yeah, they benefited maybe a little bit from getting underestimated in probably both the divisional and conference championship rounds, but um, that is not something that is going to happen when you're going up against a Bill Belichick-led uh, team. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the Eagles here are a great team, and uh, they've been kind of exploiting whatever little loopholes they can since they lost Carson Wentz for the season. I'm sure Evan will have something better to say on it than that. No, but yeah, I, that's my- I, I mean, Pat, I, I think that that kind of sums it up well, especially last week or two weeks ago, I guess, against the Vikings. It, Evan, I mean, it seemed like the pivotal point for the Eagles and how their defense has been built is obviously that front four along the defensive line. And, with, and we talked about it all season, Evan, about how healthy and good offensive lines are important. And the Vikings in recent weeks kind of had to shuffle things around. And so the Eagles were able to capitalize on that with the pass rush. Do you think they can do that against the Patriots? The Vikings did have to shuffle guys around, and the Patriots really haven't had to do that. They've uh, had one of the best uh, offensive lines is just in terms of continuity week to week. They do have some weaknesses, though. I mean, Joe Thune at left guard is a guy that – you know, I know teams try to specifically attack him, and the Eagles are very aggressive about using Fletcher Cox lined up directly against uh, the opposing team's center, uh, and he will line up a lot against David Andrews. 
Uh, so, hey, that's, you know, when, when the Patriots have the ball, that is going to be the Eagles' biggest weapon uh, is their defensive line, their ability to um, substitute guys and keep guys fresh. They go, you know, six, seven deep on the defensive line. Not many teams can do that. I think that the Patriots will try to play up-tempo and prevent uh, the Eagles from substituting uh, as frequently as they would like and to try to keep Danell Ellerby on the field. Danell Ellerby, actually a middle linebacker, uh, opened the season, uh, or he was on the Saints previously. He's only played like four or five games with the Eagles, missed the NFC Championship game with a hamstring injury. He's back this week, but I think that that is a guy that the Patriots will look to specifically attack with short passes, uh, trying to circumvent the Eagles' ability to uh, get pressure on Tom Brady uh, and get the ball out of his hands quickly, attacking a guy like Danelle Ellerby with you know, quick, quicker hitting routes to Danny Amendola. Obviously, Gronkowski is probably going to end up matched up with Danelle Ellerby three or four times during the game, and obviously the running backs. Evan, can we dig into that a little more? Because, I mean, to get in that scenario, I guess they could come out in 12 personnel, right, and then go from either under center with one of those tight ends at fullback, and then the next snap they could go to empty with either a Rex Burkhead or a James White out there as receiver and go multiple wide sets. Is, is that kind of what you're referring to in terms of maximizing uh, mismatches and keeping Danelle Ellerby and slower linebackers on the field? Yeah, and they'll play 21 personnel a lot. James yeah. Devlin, with James Devlin on the field, there was a play last week where J- James Devlin lined up on the outside and like occupied Jalen Ramsey's coverage. And so the, the Patriots improved their matchups across the rest of the field. Um, so, and they, you know, they, they love James Devlin. I mean, he's a really, he's a smart dude. He can do a lot of different things and, you know, they can run with power and they can throw the ball out of the 21 personnel. Uh, and I think that that will be one of their primary formations when they're in the hurry up. Pat, we have seen Tom Brady. I think I read the stat and I forget who put it on Twitter, but I think his average in most games of the Patriots is like 36 pass attempts. And then in the playoffs, it's 46 pass attempts. So obviously the game kind of gets on his shoulders when it's necessary. Uh, Do you think it will again go in that direction? Or do you think we might see this balanced Patriots offense that we've seen for a good portion of the season with Deion Lewis and Rex Burkhead? I think it will go in that direction because, like Evan said, they're going to have incentive to kind of go hurry up. And, you know, the Patriots are kind of always a short passing team, but I think they're going to have incentive to really work the short passing game. The Eagles have had trouble covering run back, running backs all season. Uh, it could be another Deion Lewis game. Pretty much everything's a Deion Lewis game at this point, but it could be a Rex Burkhead game finally. He hasn't been able to get healthy for like two months, but it's had two weeks now to heal up after barely playing in the AFC Championship game. And, yeah, I think, like Evan said, they need tempo. They're going to be working uh, the passing game to the running backs. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's just the Patriots kind of – it seems like the better the defense, uh, the more the Patriots throw. I have no idea if that's actually a thing. But, um, you know, they, the Patriots seem to, in the playoffs, a lot of times fall back on their strengths. I mean, we know they're uh, – matchup dependent with their game plans but a lot of times like you said they end up putting the game uh on the shoulders of their strengths and their number one strength is still tom brady so 
I don't know if I would the over under in the forty six. I would probably take the under, but I think it'll be between like forty and forty six attempts probably for Tom Brady. And obviously, no one really predicted a blowout for the Eagles against the Vikings. And one, I would say, part of that is the Eagles playing at home. But two, it was again that that defensive line absolutely dominating the Vikings' offensive line, and we could pinpoint possible um, you know negatives along or areas that could be attacked. Like Evan mentioned, Joe Tooney is one, but also that right tackle spot, right? Marcus Cannon had locked it down for a long time, um, and I know that they've had to put Cameron Fleming and a few other guys in there at right tackle uh, as well. Evan, let's flip it over, okay? Let's talk about Nick Foles and the Eagles' offense, which played quite well, versus a Patriots defense that started the season pretty bad, I mean, to put it nicely. I mean, a lot of... uh, coverage, miscommunications, big plays allowed, but they really have shorted up recently. The Eagles, I mean, Nick Foles' performance in the NFC Championship game was just a a performance for the ages, and now we have to try to figure out, was that a fluke? You know, was that a one-game occurrence? Was that a sign of things to uh, come in the Super Bowl? You know, that's really hard to say. I think that the Eagles will have matchup advantage. Their biggest matchup advantage will be in the slot with Nelson Aguilar against Eric Rowe. Eric Rowe, you know, you, you probably remember, uh, Josh, coming out of college, he was, yeah. I mean, he played safety for most of his career. He was he's a six foot one, 205 guy, really shouldn't theoretically be playing in the slot. He, he does have better quickness than most cornerbacks his size. He had a sub-seven-second three-cone, um, but he is – you know, he he's like he was supposed to be a big press corner. Exactly, and, and he was drafted by the Eagles, wasn't he? Yes, he, he was, was by Mr. Chip Kelly. There we go. So, and you know, the, ordinarily, I think in this situation, because the Patriots used like rotating slot corners for most of the season, they would have put Jonathan Jones on Nelson, on a player like Nelson Aguilar in the slot. Uh, but Jonathan Jones hit hit injured reserve uh, about a month ago. So it's going to be all Eric Rowe uh, against Nelson Aguilar, I think, in the slot. And I've not seen a lot of Nelson Aguilar, though, in the playoffs. He's only got seven targets. That's fewer than Torrey Smith. That's fewer than Jay Ajayi. So, you know, I, I don't know why he has not been as heavily involved, uh, but I think that this is the game where they, the Eagles need to get him more involved. Pat, this is really simplifying it, but when I go back and think about Nick Foles' performances, he had some strong ones where he carried out, you know, the playbook and the game plan. Then he had ones like against the Vikings where he made some big plays. But then he had like an absolute stinker against the Oakland Raiders. And what I always go back to is Carson Wentz converting on those third and 10 plus situations like all season long at a ridiculous rate. I think I've talked about it in every single podcast we've done in these playoffs. Uh, Nick Foles, I think in that Raiders game was either one for nine or one for 12 overall on third down. So again, is it oversimplifying it to say, the Eagles' only chance, and it seems obvious, only chance of winning is if they convert on those third and seven-plus situations. And the real key would be to stay out of those situations and try to get in a third and three, third and four. And I mean, it's kind of boilerplate analysis here for me, but like the, the key to the Super Bowl, obviously, is is it going to be Derek Carr, Nick Foles, who shows up, or Steve Young, Nick Foles, or maybe in between Derek Carr, Nick Foles, and Steve Young, Nick Foles, because I mean, he was just 
you know, unbelievably bad, like you said, on that Christmas night game. Then he was kind of somewhere in between against the Falcons, kind of got his confidence going as the game went on. He got off to a horrible start, like the worst possible start in the division round. And then, as we know, had the greatest game in NFL history in the NFC Championship game. And so I think, yeah, the key, the Eagles are going to have to succeed kind of with bully ball and offense kind of to some degree. They're not going to be able to do what they did to the Vikings up front. They're going to have to at least do like 60 to 70% of that really kind of dominate in the trenches on offense. And, you know, again, this is kind of a boilerplate thing to say, but they got to get off to a fast start. Uh, Doug Peterson, it's kind of like Andy Reid in that uh, he comes out with these great early scripts. They're kind of a first-half team a lot of the times where they come out just with an amazing game plan. And maybe uh, maybe Doug Peterson's kind of the first-half coach in this game, and Bill Belichick's going to be the second-half coach. He's always the second-half coach. So they got to avoid third and longs. they got to keep it third and manageable. And they really cannot – they can't squander the first half, you know, if this goes in halftime. Like, you know, if they're down 10-3 to or only up 10-3 to or something, I, I don't see how the Eagles could win the game. Evan, we looked at previous successful teams in the Super Bowl and the playoffs, and a lot of it depends on their defensive lines, right? We Our front sevens, we talked about, oh, we have in the past, the Denver Broncos, the Seattle Seahawks, so on and so forth. Uh, we just talked about it with the Philadelphia Eagles. Evan, I would say that the Patriots aren't like superstars there, right? Especially as they're pass rushers and disruptive guys. Along the defensive front seven, it seems like they're bigger bodies. They want to stop the run and then kind of bend but not break in terms of the passing game. They broke early in the season. But again, Evan, could you see maybe the way that the Patriots lose is that they don't create enough disruption and pressure up front? Because even without Jason Peters... Um, the Eagles' defense or offensive line has really stepped up in recent weeks. Yeah, I mean, and the last time that we saw Nick Foles, I mean, he was playing like Carson Wentz. You know, he was able to escape and make those second reaction plays that we have so infrequently seen from him during his career. I mean, you, you know, you talk about the Patriots' defensive line, their defensive front, really. You know, their entire front seven from the linebackers, Kyle Van Noy, picked up from the Lions. Landon Roberts, you know, mid to late round pick. Marquise Flowers, you know, originally drafted by, I think it was the Bengals. Mm-hmm. Uh, defensive line, you know, Trey Flowers, I think, is probably the best player up there. And he's there. a very good player. I, I, I don't want to come good. across that I, I, I don't think he's a good player. He's good. Dietrich Wise is interesting. Adam yes. Butler is an interesting undrafted guy. I mean, obviously, Malcolm Brown has some disruption. But again, comparing it to their counterpart this week against the Philadelphia Eagles, it's, it's two opposite ends of the spectrum. Absolutely, absolutely. So the the Eagles do have an advantage in terms of their offensive line against the Patriots' uh, defensive line. And what it's going to come down to, I think, for the Patriots' defense is their ability to handle uh, the run-pass options. Because, uh, you know, this has become a major staple of the Eagles' offense. Uh, The Eagles ran more RPOs over the course of the season than any other NFL team. And the Patriots faced the fewest RPO plays of any NFL team. So, what do you think that the uh, the big you know theme of practice for the last two weeks for the Patriots was? <laughs> Probably defending the RPOs. RPOs. <laughs> and and you know Belichick was on the phone with his boy Nick Saban, who's probably faced uh-huh. a lot more RPOs in the college ranks than Bill Belichick has in the pro ranks. That's some really great analysis there. Um, I mean, isn't Nick Foles? Traditionally, isn't Foles traditionally one of the worst quarterbacks like in football against pressure? So like, kind of like last week, 
notwithstanding, like doesn't isn't he kind of known as like Mister Mister Sandman and like, the face? Look, this, this is this just face. like a super small sample size we're working with Nick Foles. I know in the past he's had a great season, and then he's had some pretty poor and mediocre years. But we've only been working with him for a few weeks, and one of those was like an absolute awful performance, and then the rest have been home favorites, right? Or I guess they weren't favorites against the Vikings, but home games. So it's 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 again small sample size, so I'm not sure we know who the true Nick Foles is in this offense, but we surely do know who the true Doug Peterson is and how he can game plan an offense. Yes, we do, Josh. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to ask you guys for a pick because I think that could, you know, lead to some tweets later on, and that's not fair to y'all. <laughs> so instead, I'll just say thank you so much for joining me throughout this uh, season. I really appreciate it. To you two, I appreciate Nick Minzio, Rich Rebar, obviously Ray Summerlin, as well, if you guys enjoyed this or girls, this podcast at all, consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Again, it really helps us out. We're gearing up for draft season. And for Evan and for Pat, I'm Josh. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you soon. See ya.